Welcome to the Sawyer Highlands and Converge Community Church Sermon Podcast. This is Season 2 with a brand new series on the book of Daniel. Each week we will upload the sermon that was preached during the Sunday morning service at our New Buffalo campus in hopes that it will serve you well during the week. So sit back, relax, and may you be encouraged by the great hope you have in Jesus Christ as you listen to the preaching of God's Word. It's been a long tradition at our church uh, to take the month of May to focus on the importance of missions. And so we've taken a little break from the book of Galatians. We're halfway through Galatians in our normal preaching series, but we wanted to pause and just reflect on this month the importance of preaching the message of Jesus Christ and the cross to all nations. So right before Jesus ascended to the right hand of the throne of the Father, he gave a command to his disciples. He said to go out to all the nations and to proclaim the message of the gospel. And so he, that, that, that command, that call, was not only to those disciples back then 2,000 years ago, but as the church was born, that command applied to the church as well, as the church being disciples of Jesus, which means it includes us today. We are called as the church to go out among the nations and to proclaim Jesus' death and resurrection for our sins, for the forgiveness of our sins. And so that's why we're, we're pausing for this month and reflecting on this. Uh, last week, Pastor, or two weeks ago, Pastor Joe preached on the cross being the message. That has to be the primary message when we go out to missions. And then last week we had a guest speaker. His name is David Sunday. You cannot forget that name, can you? David Sunday. That's it's almost better than Rob Rob Nash. I think Rob Nash is a great name as well. It's memorable. But David Sunday, he is the president of Word Partners, and that's the ministry that Pastor Jeff is uh, involved in and, and works for part time. And Pastor Jeff is overseas with them now, training pastors to study the scriptures and to preach the gospel. So he shared with us. Uh, David Sunday shared with us last week and how the cross is a magnet. It is inviting. It attracts ears because there's in the gospel this understanding of a need, a need for God, our creator. So this morning we're going to focus on something a little similar. This time it's going to be the cross as the means the cross as the means. Now, what do I mean by that? As the cross as the means? Well, it's Jesus dying on the cross actually did something. It actually accomplished something for us. Jesus dying on the cross was not just a nighttime tale that we tell our children. It's not just an event in history 
that we remember and read about. It's not an archetype that gives us greater insight into life and suffering and death. It's not just an example that his disciples, Jesus' disciples, must follow. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross actually accomplished something for his people. It had a spiritual effect. In fact, let me say it like this. The cross is the only means by which one can be saved. The cross is the only means by which one can be saved. So let me try to unpack this for you and and where I'm trying to go with this. Uh, Many moons ago, when I first became a Christian, in fact, I was probably a Christian for about uh, maybe two weeks, and I was 15 years old, and I was going on vacation with my father and my stepmom down to Florida to visit my aunt and uncle, who I hadn't seen in, in years. And so we go and visit with them, and w- without any, without any um, provocation or any discussion of, of what the Lord was doing in my life, my aunt started talking about religion. And she said something along these lines, and I don't remember exactly, but it, it was something like this, that there are so many religions out there that talk about God What makes anyone think that Christianity is the only way? Or that Jesus is the only way? How do we know that anyone's way is right and all the rest are wrong? What gives Christians the monopoly on God and truth and salvation? Why Why can't there be multiple ways to God. Now at uh, 15 years old and two weeks of um, the God doing something in my heart, I did not have an answer for her. Didn't have an ha- answer for her. But I know this, that wasn't the last time somebody came to me with that kind of question. Throughout my, I think it's like 29 years now, of being a follower of Jesus, often there's been times when people have come to me and and shared those types of thoughts. And so here's the question for us this morning. How can the cross be the only means by which one can be saved? How can the cross be the only means by which one can be saved? So this morning we're going to answer as best as we can, we're going to answer that question using all kinds of scripture. But I first want to start in the book of Acts. And um, I'm going to read it here in a little bit, but before, before I do, let me give you a little context. This is the beginning of the church, and Peter and John, the disciples or witnesses of Jesus' death and resurrection, they're, they're preaching the gospel, this good news of what Jesus has accomplished for his people. And, uh, and what they would uh, normally do was go into the synagogue and talk to the Jewish people there and share their faith. 
And at one time they go and there's a man who is crippled sitting by the entrance to the temple and he's asking for money. And Peter, uh, like um, every uh, good, I, I, I want to say every good Christian that doesn't carry cash with them, right? He goes to them. He has no money with him. And he says, listen, I can't give you what you're asking for, but I can give you what you need. And he says, in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And boom, the man stands up. He's healed and he walks. And Peter says, now come follow me into the temple. And so the man walks into the temple and everybody who was in the temple saw that man begging at the entrance of the temple. And they were like, wait a minute, what is going on? How is this man who was crippled, how can he be walking? Gave Peter a great opportunity to preach the gospel. And so he preaches the gospel to them. And it was strange to them. And basically what happened is, is it stirred up some problems for Peter and John. It, that religious leaders got word of, of this message that Peter was giving. And so they wanted answers. And so that's where we're going to start. This is Acts chapter 4. I'm going to read for you verses 1 through 12. And I would like for you to follow along with me as I read. And as they were speaking to the people, this is Peter and John, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees, these are all religious leaders, came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening, but many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power... Or by what name did you do this? That's the, the healing of this man. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man was, has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the building or the builders which has become the cornerstone. And, here's the key phrase, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. With that, let me pray for our time together. Heavenly Father, just as we, we focus on this message, we're only looking at one verse, but 
also jumping around to many others. I pray, Lord, that it is your word that speaks. That is, your word will convict and to stir us up into the mysteries of what it means to be saved through Jesus dying on the cross. Lord, may we uh, give us Give us eyes and ears that that see and hear. Give us a heart of understanding that we may know what it means to be saved through Jesus and what it means when it comes to missions. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so remember, this is Peter and John before these religious leaders and experts. Uh, They know their Old Testament well. They have ideas of what it means to be saved from their understanding of the Old Testament, which makes Peter's statement all the more audacious. This is is surprising to these leaders that Peter would claim such a message that Jesus, no other name but Jesus alone. So let me read that verse for you again, verse 12. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So imagine how this must have sounded to these religious leaders. Here are two fishermen who have no scholarly background, no formal education or training, no prominent standing in their social circles. How in the world... Could these two men make such a bold, outlandish statement? Well, verse 13, if you look in your Bible, says that, they, that the religious leaders recognized that Peter and John had been with Jesus. That they were followers of Jesus. For three years, they followed him, and they heard his teaching, and I think they remembered his teaching because this does not come out of left field. This isn't something that Peter and John made up. Jesus spoke it himself. John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, see that's underlined, no one comes to the Father except through me. So again, this goes back to the original question, and let me ask it another way. Why is it that salvation can only come by Jesus dying on the cross? What is it all about, this Jesus? And and what is it about this cross that brings about salvation? That it actually did something, it accomplished something. What is that? So let me answer the question in three parts. So first, number one, that salvation can only come through Jesus because of God's character. Because of God's character. And we're going to unpack what that means. Number two, salvation can only come through Jesus because of our sinful nature. And number three, salvation can only come through Jesus being sacrificed. 
So we're going to hopefully unpack all that and bring it together at the end to get a greater understanding why it is only through the cross, Jesus dying on the cross, that we can be saved. So here's number one. The idea that salvation can only come through Jesus because of God's character. There are two uh, attributes of God that are very important to understand, and that is that God is both perfectly holy and perfectly just. A wonderful picture of this is portrayed in the Old Testament when Moses makes this request to God. He's interacting with the Lord. He's already given the people the Ten Commandments, and, and there's been a lot of interaction with him and the Lord. And at one point, God says to him, you ask of me anything, and I'll give it to you. Just make a request. And Moses says, I want to see your glory. And God responds back, ooh, that's a tough request. Here's the problem, Moses. You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. You see, God is so glorious and so holy that for we, there is no way for us to come into his full presence and live. That's how glorious and holy he is. He's so holy and just that we as mere mortals cannot come into his full presence. If we do, we will die. Right there on the spot. Deuteronomy 32, verses 3 and 4 says this. He says, For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. That's who God is. He is just. He is upright. He is perfect in all his ways. He is just. Therefore, he is holy and just, and he cannot allow sin and rebellion to go unpunished. You see, in order, if, if he allowed sin to go unpunished, he would therefore be unjust. Let me give you an example of this or an illustration so, um, you know, we have a court system here in America where criminals are tried. And so if you can imagine that something, that's, that a crime was committed um, against one of your family members, okay? And it was a horrible thing that, takes, that took place, whether it was a robbery or a murder. Something took place to, or something happened to your family member. And they captured the criminal and now they try him, and they find him guilty. Twelve of his peers find this person guilty. And you're sitting there in the courtroom. And then after the verdict, the judge says, you know, even though he is guilty of this crime, I think I'm going to forgive him. No jail time. You can go on your way. As a family member... How would that sit with you? Was justice done? Did the judge, was the judge just? And I would say no. 
by just merely forgiving the criminal of his crime and letting him go, that judge ruled unjustly. You see, if God, by just his whim, decided to forgive whoever, he would be considered unjust. And here's something really important to understand. You see, this whole idea of God being just is not just a moral rule that he decided to follow. He didn't think, "Uh uh-huh, okay, let me think of some rules that I can guide my, my actions in, okay? I think one of them, I think I'll be just, okay? In, in all ways, I'll be just. That's, that's not how it works. You see, just, to be just is God's character. It is who he is. He can't be nothing but just. It's who he is. So God cannot ignore injustice. And this is why salvation can only come through Jesus. It's because God is perfectly holy and just. And I'm going to put that all together here in a moment. But this is really important for us to understand that Jesus had to come and it's because of his char- God's character that he is holy and just. Okay, so just bookmark that, write that down. This is really important to understand. Here's number two that salvation can only come through Jesus because of our sinful nature. You see, we are by nature opposed to God, and we're rebellious against him. And you don't have to live very long to understand that there's this nature within us that we want to rebel against authority. Uh, Grandparents, parents, mothers, happy Mother's Day. You know this from early on that you do not have to teach your children to disobey. You have to teach them to obey. And sometimes it can be an all-out war to teach them to obey, correct? We do not have to teach our children to disobey authority. That comes naturally. And you know what? We can blame it all on two people that lived a very long time ago, Adam and Eve. In Genesis, way back when, when uh, God gave the command to do not eat from this tree, right? When, when you do, you will surely die. And what takes place? Adam and Eve eat from the tree. And it says that when they did, their eyes were opened. Their eyes were opened. They were open to now understanding or knowing, and I would say they knew in a and in an experiential, experiential way, they, they knew what was good and what was evil because they just, experienced, they just experienced it by disobeying God and eating from the fruit. And so their eyes were open. They saw uh, their nakedness, which I think um, is connected with shame and guilt. And from that time forward, every person who came from the line of Adam and Eve have the same exact problem. You can think of it like a disease that they, that, that they had that spreads throughout all of humanity. Every single one of us that has come from, every, from Adam and Eve deal with this problem. 
and it's called the sinful nature. Genesis 6-5, so this is a few chapters later. Uh, God looks at it like this when it comes to sin. This is Genesis 6-5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intentions of his thoughts, of his heart, was only evil continually. That's, that's a pretty intense statement, isn't it? I mean, there's no getting away from that. It's not like, uh, Lord, aren't you, aren't you being a little intense here? Maybe, maybe you just misunderstood my actions. No, 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 no. God knows the intentions of the heart, and he knows that it's evil continually. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 talks about this as well. Paul says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. All sinned. Again, in Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 12, uh, Paul is talking to the church of Rome. He says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, and by the way, that includes everyone. That's everyone on the planet. Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So friends, we all have been born with this disease, and it's been passed on from our first parents, Adam and Eve, onto us. It's this rebellious nature towards our holy creator, and he must hold us accountable. He must, as a just God, hold us accountable. Romans 3 Verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, and of course we are all under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped. I love that phrase. So uh, parents, you might relate to this, or if you're children, you can relate to this as well when you were children. Uh, when, uh, when a parent says something like, uh, uh, when you're in trouble, right, when you disobeyed them, and what's the thing that first comes to your mouth? It's, oh, mom, dad, I'm sorry. No, 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 that's not what comes out of the mouth, right? The first thing that comes out of your mouth is what? But they, but I was, I was only, right? Excuses start coming up. This is why I had to disobey mom and dad. It was for your good, mom. Right? So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. As you can see from this passage, no one is excluded. There is no way anyone can talk their way out of this problem. There is not a way anyone can work their way out of this problem. They can't, they can't work hard enough or blame others or compare yourselves to others. That will not work. You know what? Um, do you know what this guy has done? 
I'm far better than him. We can't do that. We are all under sin and held accountable by a just God. So we, who are all on trial, have been found guilty before this holy and just God, and our crimes against God are so heinous that it requires the ultimate punishment, death. We are all on death row. The scriptures speak of this clearly. We are all dead men walking. However, God gives us a way out, a way to pay our debt with something other than our own blood. It's the blood of another. And that brings us to the next point, that salvation can only come through Jesus being crucified. So let's talk about this idea of sacrifice. In the Old Testament, God set up what we call a sacrificial system. We read this in uh, Leviticus and in other uh, Old Testament passages. And here's the thing about a sacrifice. What is a sacrifice? It's an act of offering up something that is valuable. Valuable enough to satisfy the debt when an offense was committed. So it has to be something of value in order to give, to pay off a debt. And so this is explained in the book of Leviticus when it comes to our sin. Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. For the life of the flesh... The life of the flesh is in the blood. So there's this connection with blood and life. And I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. So that's a kind of a confusing passage. In other words, what he is saying here is God set up a sacrificial system where the creature's lifeblood is given to pay the debt of sin. That's basically what he's talking about. The lifeblood of the animal is used. So in Old Testament, Testament times, you would bring a goat or a lamb or something along that, those lines and bring it to the temple where the priest would kill it and he would sprinkle the animal's blood on the altar. And this would have to be a regular practice. It would be a regular practice, a continual practice. Why? Because the next week, by the next week, you've sinned again. So you're going to have to make a sacrifice again. And then the next week, oops, rough week, going to have to sacrifice again. Could you imagine, <laughs> could you imagine what that'd be like for today? Right? Church would be a little bit different, wouldn't, wouldn't it? There'd be a lot more animals running around. It would smell a little different. Uh, I don't know if I would be doing this job um, if it was required to sacrifice animals for the atonement of your sin. I mean, I love you guys, but man, that's messy. Um, and I don't know, I'm a little squeamish when it comes to blood. But that's what it would require in the Old Testament. So, you see, there's a problem with this understanding of sacrifice and animal sacrifices. There's a problem with it. And here's the problem. 
The blood of an animal is not sufficient enough to pay for the debt of human sin. Right? So it's this sacrifice. It has to be something of value. But it has to be valuable enough to actually make the payment. And that's why there's a problem with animal sacrifices. Because the life of an animal is not a proper representation of human life. It's insufficient. Animal blood is not as valuable as human blood. Animal blood is not as valuable as human blood. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, talks about it like this. For since the law, and I replaced that, or I added the word sacrifices, because that's what he's referring to here when he's talking about the law. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. So this sacrificial system is a, is a foreshadow of something else. Okay? Since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. So let me say it again. I'm going to bring these words together. It can never, it can never make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consequences of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. That's what the, the sacrificial system was for. To remember. To remember our sins. Verse 4, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. There it is. So it cannot be by the blood of animals. It must be human blood. It must be human blood. And just when you think it couldn't get any worse, here's another problem. This human blood sacrifice, this blood that is to be shed, must be pure. It must be holy. It must be perfect. Whatever this person with this blood they, have, they could not have committed any offense against God. So think about it. This makes sense. I cannot be the sacrifice for your sins because I'm a sinner. So my blood is the price. My death is the price for my sin. I can't pay off your debt because I'm paying off my debt. And so it has to be a pure and perfect sacrifice. So the sacrifice needs to be the sac the sacrifice needs to be sinless and we already acknowledge that all have sinned. So that gets us into a bind again, doesn't it? So what is the solution? What is the solution for us to be saved from our sin? It needs to be a human who can re represent perfectly all of mankind, yet without spot or blemish, without 
sin. Romans chapter 5, verses 18 and 19 says this, Therefore, as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all men, that would be Adam, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, that's Adam, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. And so this human sacrifice must perfectly represent humanity. He has to be fully man. He also has to be without spot or blemish. He has to be perfect. He has to be holy. And only God can fulfill that requirement. So wait a minute, what? You see, this sacrifice must be fully man and fully God. And he must pay the debt of sin with his blood. Friends, this is exactly why Jesus came. The God-man who came to earth and willingly went to the cross because that was the only way. The only way. Again, Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And the reason is because there is no other man like Jesus, the God-man who lived a righteous life, who went to the cross to pay for our sins. Brothers and sisters, the cross is the only means by which one can be saved. It's the only way because God is just and holy. He cannot let sin go unpunished. So that punishment will either come to us or come to a sacrifice. And that sacrifice has to be pure and it has to represent humanity. The only one who can do that is Jesus. So why, this is why missions is so important. We're going to bring it back to missions. This is why we are called to go out and preach this good news. Because it doesn't matter when you were born, where you were born, your status in society, your intelligence, your accomplishments, your moral practices... The scriptures tell us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the scriptures also tell us that the church has the role of proclaiming the good news that Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross for our sins. We are to proclaim this good news to all nations. The church is commanded to send out those who are called to preach the gospel. It's the church that is called to pray to finance, to develop and train those who to go, to go out and preach this message. So what does it mean for us as the church? What does it mean for us as a local congregation? Well, I think first it starts with prayer. We need to be praying about this mission that God has given to us. And I think I think a good prayer to start with is this. That we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, 
will stir up within us, that the Spirit would stir up within us a passion for missions. That we would have a passion to, hear, to, to send out those to preach the good news, that those who will hear will believe and be saved. And so we need to develop a passion for missions. We must think of ways that, that we can stir ourselves up in this way and stir our children up in this way as well. So here's where we can start. Here's some practical ways that we can move towards a passion for missions. Number one, to engage with our missions team. I don't know if you knew this or not. Are, do we have any mission team members here? Are they here this morning? There are some that attend Converge. I don't see any hands, but there are some uh, that attend Converge uh, and others that attend up at Sawyer. Uh, I think they meet monthly and they talk about missions. They're the ones that are driving this whole missions month. And uh, if you want to um, get stirred up about missions, I would encourage you to talk to these people because they are passionate about missions. That's why they are on the missions board. So engage with our missions team. Um, number two, invite those involved in missions to lunch. So we have various people, or, or dinner, or breakfast, or coffee, whatever it may be, but we have all kinds of people that have experienced missions, have gone out on the mission field. Um, so, you know, Pastor Jeff and Cindy, Jeff is already out in, in another country uh, training. When he comes back and Cindy's uh, with him, you can invite them and ask them about their mission. Uh, there's Mike and Sonia Bowden. Uh, Mike and Sonia and their family were missionaries to the Czech Republic for 19 years, planting churches. Uh, he's in our congregation. Dan and Suzanne Hayward, uh, doctors who uh, often go overseas and use their gifts. Uh, Caleb and Amanda Dryden. Uh, this is Jeff and Cindy's um, son and daughter-in-law. They were in Qatar for, what, like three or four years, something along those lines, teaching um, and they have some, some uh, wonderful stories and experiences of, of missionary work. Uh, we also locally have Chris and Sophia. So I'm sorry I'm picking on you guys, but if you guys just hold, raise your hands at least so that they can know they're sitting in the back. Uh, they serve right in our backyard in the, in the Benton Harbor area, in the Coloma area, all that whole region, um, and they um, provide... Uh, camps for migrant workers and for their children. And um, so that's right in our backyard. But these are people that you can come or go to and talk with and ask them about their ministry and what the Lord is doing with their mission. Uh, number three, look for news that covers what God is doing in other countries. Friends, we, we turn on the TV, we can turn on the radio, and the news can be so discouraging so I would encourage you, look, look for the news because it's out there. Uh, you can look for Christian blogs. You could say uh, Christian um, missions, uh, blogs or um, news articles or something along those lines, and things will come up. Uh, Christianity, Christianity Today is a magazine. Um, you can um, subscribe to that. Or World Magazine often has good articles. But you can do that kind of research yourself and start reading about what the Lord is doing 
among the nations. Number four, look for opportunities to go on a short-term missions trip. Uh-oh, this means blood in the game, right? Skin in the game. Uh, I just encourage you uh, to consider that. There's various ways that that could happen. Um, and like I said, this summer, there's going to be a camp that uh, Chris and Sophia are going to be providing right in our backyard. You can start there. Um, grab them after the service. Get information. That's a very easy way to uh, get your toes wet when it comes to missions. All right, number five, pray. Pray. Stirring up a passion for missions starts with prayer. It persists in prayer, and it ends with prayer. We need to be covering this with prayer, that we would be a church that is all about missions. And so here's the thing. You don't have to be skilled or gifted in preaching the gospel. You don't have to be the one that is called to go out. Uh, there's, there's ways that you can help provide. You can, uh, pr- you can help financially, but even if you can't help financially, there's other ways to encourage, to speak into people's lives, to care for them, to make food, to provide when missionaries come back, to, uh, to minister to missionaries. We can even, and this is probably the most important thing you can do, and every single one of us can do this. We can pray. We can pray for our missionaries. We can pray for the work. Friends, salvation can only come through Jesus. It's because, because of God's character. He is holy and just. Salvation can only come through Jesus because of our sinful nature. Salvation can only come through Jesus being our sacrifice. This is the message we need to proclaim to all the nations. So I encourage you, how does God want you to be a part of that mission? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Acts chapter 4 and this this wild event of a healing of of Peter preaching the gospel and this this wild statement he makes that Jesus is the only way. It's only through his name that we can be saved. Lord, this is an important message for us to understand, not just for ourselves, but for our neighbors and for all those in the world and all other nations, Lord. Lord, this is the message that we need to be about. So Lord, help us stir up the call to missions within our hearts, within this church. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like more information about Sawyer Highlands Church and Converge Community Church and the service times for both campuses, please visit our website at www.sawyerhighlands.org. Until next time, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.